0: Hey this is Lexi this is Ari
1: and you're listening to hotel Earth
0: Hi we'd like to extend our stay and upgrade. Mm-hmm.
1: What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Hotel Earth. My name is Lexi Moorhead. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Ariana Helvai. Ciao! Today we are broaching part one of a two-part series that will more than likely also be a much larger series as the podcast continues. But to not tease it too much, we are talking ethics today, which if you didn't know... Is one of Ari's second most favorite topics.
0: Oh, yeah. Her first favorite is talking about how much she loves me. Yes, that's actually, that's the exact rank that I would put it for sure. (laughs) Yeah, actually, she knows me better than I know myself. I would have (laughs) said, unknowingly, I would have said chocolate, but she's totally right. It's these two and then chocolate's third. (laughs) For sure. Huge app today. I'm geeking out big time. This was a highly requested episode as well. We've gotten at least two written requests for it. And... I count for the other like 80% of the requests because I've just been wanting to talk about this for so long. Of course, before we we do that, Lex is going to ask me a random question because I believe it's her turn this week. My question for you today is what is
1: something random that has inspired you recently?
0: Okay, super random. My friend, Plays guitar quite well, and if he's listening, I think he listens sometimes. Hi Emil, you're a fabulous guitar player. He's been playing so much that he reminded me that I used to play an instrument too. I used to play violin as um a uh, early teenager. Yeah, for I about didn't I don't know, know that, if you knew that, Lex. Think. Yeah, yeah, I played violin for probably five years, and I was quite good at it. Actually, I do have a musical ear, and I I stopped playing um because. I don't know i i was in high school i was starting to get really into volleyball and obviously like at that time being in the orchestra just like wasn't cool so that probably influenced my decision to stop playing too but i am a fucking weirdo at heart and um shout out to all orchestra weirdos if you were ever made fun of in school i'm i'm with you but i realized now that he's been playing so much and he's he's been telling me he's like oh look ari you should buy a violin and like play with me like we should play and it's just been so inspiring he's so right like i absolutely should get a violin and start playing again like i love music um, I love being center of attention to like my, my favorite things. Like this is just a great combo. I don't know what's been stopping me from playing again. It's a hobby that I really loved. So yeah, that's been super inspiring. Violin, I, it's so random. Like for some reason, my friend playing so much and seeing how much he loves it has just been so, so inspiring. So, yeah, I'm thinking about buying a violin again and starting to play just for fun.
1: I love that. If anyone wants to donate to a nice little GoFundMe to help Ariana buy a violin, um, hit me up on Instagram. Oh, that's a cute idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be great. We'll let her practice a little bit before she plays on the podcast, but eventually, maybe we'll let her, maybe we'll have you do the intro on violin
0: no no that's gonna be like a special feature like if you want to pay us on patreon you can get like a nice demo recording of my violin how's that sound there we go we'll make we got a cd and we'll start yeah we gotta start monetizing somehow maybe this is our violin
1: and i'll be on vocals because you know i'm so so virtuoso virtuoso is that the right word
0: i don't know no idea but whatever she's gonna be great lexi kills everything she attempts so i have no doubt and by that she means i
1: literally murder things she doesn't mean it in
0: the (laughs) positive way i did though today as lexi said we are going to be talking about a topic very near and dear to my heart my interests i love talking about the stuff disclaimer it's super subjective all philosophy and ethics is very subjective so technically they're all opinions they're all opinions I mean contemplating life is an opinion and it's an opinion from granted very smart uh philosophers who are well articulated um and a, a lot of times came from a place of privilege but I just want to say that first and foremost before we continue because take ev- everything with a grain of salt these are all opinions Lexi and I are conveying opinions and then we're gonna offer our own opinions on the opinions so and stay you too, know it's what they be say really about fun. opinions they're like assholes
1: everybody has one
0: (laughs) i love that i love that have you ever heard that expression i have but i forgot about it and you just reminded me (laughs) environmental ethics is a huge fat subject okay we could literally make a quadrillion episodes on environmental ethics and we likely will. You we know, could this, honestly the,
1: make po- a whole spinoff podcast on just could, talking about I, environmental I ethics. I would probably,
0: yo, Patreon idea number two, I would do a spinoff podcast where I literally just talk about environmental ethics. I love it this much. It's going to be
1: Ari um, just talking to herself. She's going to record and, one conversation and then respond to her own recorded yes. conversation.
0: And I'll, I'll even throw in one of my accents. I've recently, not recently, I've always known I'm really good at accents, but a lot of my friends have recently discovered that i'm very good at accents here and they're like wait uh, why can you like randomly do like 20 accents and i'm like what do you mean i've always been this gifted long story short we're gonna make this a series for sure you know so just buckle in. but for the next two episodes we will be using brendan meyer's book time and the land as a framework for our beginnings of this environmental ethics conversation i personally
1: have not Read Time and Land. Most of my thoughts and interjections you'll be hearing today are going to be based on articles I have read on my own and my personal lived experience. Putting that out there now so that in the off chance someone is very familiar with this book and they hear me say something that's not related to the book, that's because it came from my brain and not from the pages.
0: No, I actually think this is a good. Format for this episode, like you've not read it, and I have, because you kind of represent probably most of the people we're talking to here. Like that's a good point. Just a just an un like a you're you're listening an unbiased POV. I mean, you have bias, but like you haven't read, ha- you don't have necessarily like resonance with this book. That's right. In this text, Myers covers four common philosophical approaches to help us answer the question. Why should we, why should humans, give a flying fuck about the environment? Those four approaches are utilitarianism, distributive justice, Kantian deontology, and virtue ethics. Today, we will be covering two of the four approaches discussed in Meyer's text. That is utilitarianism and distributive justice. Brief disclaimer, although we are talking about these
1: approaches as environmental ethics, they can be all of these approaches can actually be applied in a much broader context. Uh, One of the articles I saw was even talking about one of these approaches as it relates to abortion. So that being said, this is just a discussion from the lens of an environmental approach. So if you hear us not covering other things that you've maybe related to this ethical
0: approach, that would be why. Exactly. Lexi, thank you for saying this because and that's why I said these are four common approaches, four common philosophical approaches, because these are not just in the lens of environmentalism. In fact, these these like preceded environmental concern. All, really I mean good, That's a really good point. And it actually yeah, ties yeah, back we, to our previous conversations we've had. Exactly. On the pod. You know, like virtue ethics, for example, which we'll talk about next episode, is like Aristotle times. Like this is this is way I mean, yeah, these are these are just like the modes in which people, environmental ethics, environmental philosophers study the question, why should we care about the environment? They turn back to philosophy that's common. And right. these are the four that this book talks about. Like I said, there's there's literally quadrillion different approaches to this question. Like these are just the four that this book talks about. So environmental ethics is something that humans are particularly interested in or study because, I mean, there's no other way to explain it other than the fact that we are literally just pensive and very curious creatures. That's why philosophy exists in general. We like having answers to things. We like having logical answers, in fact, to our questions. You know, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why did my boyfriend not text me back? What's my purpose here on Earth? And part of being a human being is the fact that we are sentient.
1: And I think that sentientism is what got us to be so interested in ethics because ethics is literally just the questioning of everything Life. yeah Life. What and who knows pro- yeah. if other creatures do it or not because obviously we don't have a way to necessarily tell at this point but i mean chicken you ethics know, would probably be really interesting honestly it would be chicken ethics We
0: have talked about, Lexi and I have talked about environmental ethics on this podcast before, actually. Shortly in passing, we haven't like dived too deep into it, but we've all heard Lexi mention existentialism. I've talked about long-termism, and it often gets brought up in environmental conversations because, again, we're logical. We like to have answers to these questions. Environmental ethics really is just basically the study of why should we care about the environment, the Earth's resources, future generations, and for many people, it feels innate to feel the need to at least care about the planet a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, you may not even be able to explain it. You just feel maybe kind of bad when you see that a rainforest is completely destroyed. Or you feel a little bit bad when you see wildfires are killing thousands of animals in Australia. Or maybe you feel bad that dolphins and turtles are dying from plastic morsels in the ocean. It's not a mystery that humans have a connection to their environment to the world to the resources marketing and advertising has caught on to this this is why greenwashing exists greenwashing yeah. exists because oh, of wow this. that's
1: a really good point
0: yeah greenwashing exists because it's no secret that we have some kind of emotional tie to the environment and that's why environmental ethics exists is to help us explain that why so utilitarianism is where myers starts this this explanation He also calls it the good. Contemporary utilitarianism has origins in the 19th century, 20th century England. And the basic principle of the theory can be stated like this. The morally right action is the one that results in the best consequences overall. The best consequences are the ones that have the greatest benefit and the least harm for the greatest number of of people so basically what that means is the greatest amount of quote-unquote utility overall that's where utilitarianism gets its name it's about utility which was once defined as just happiness but in recent years the definition has broadened to also mean benefit pleasure satisfaction or well-being but utilitarianism is about the measurement of overall utility in more recent
1: contexts, it's also been known as the freedom from pain and suffering which i think is a really interesting way to frame it instead of just saying because happiness like you said earlier is subjective and i think part of redefining this principle had to be framed in a way of freedom from pain and suffering because sometimes maybe happiness is too subjective to define, yep. and in the traditional sense, anything that would cause a reduction in happiness, when you view it from this principle, would uh-huh. be seen as morally
0: lo-
1: long. Yep, long. That's what I meant to say. No. Morally
0: wrong. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting approach because when you think about it, really, like when you first hear, it, you're like, okay, that makes sense, and then you think about it a little bit, and you're like, well happiness is quite subjective and then you think about it a little bit more and you're like um how do you measure happiness like how do you measure that there's no quantifiable measurement to that but what this is saying is like utilitarianism is 100 percent aware about the subjectivity to this and it it addresses it and it says we're talking in general overall happiness you know like so don't i don't need you know people after this episode be like oh well some people are happy as serial killers and it's, obviously mm-hmm. yes i know But like, this is talking about overall happiness like serial killers and people who enjoy inflicting pain on others is the minority overall people pe- the pe- measuring people's utility is is the concept here and most people are not psychopaths hopefully if we use that philosophy to approach the why should we care about the environment question we will find that the utilitarian would argue that having a beautiful planet with ample resources and clean air and water etc would bring the most overall utility to people and therefore taking care of the environment is the morally right course of action yeah let that sink in what does that mean so yeah it, it is true if people have access to resources clean air a, a beautiful environment to live in and forget that but also just beauty in nature I don't think we realize how much utility we get from that yeah we do get a lot of internal benefit from having a beautiful place to live in I mean this has been studied time and time again I think I brought up a study last episode that talked about the happiest people in the world in Finland yep. are that way and the the number because one of the number one reasons being they spend time in nature every day
1: yeah and there have been studies to show the effects of being in nature's uh, concrete effects on our overall health and reducing our blood pressure and just improving
0: our overall well-being from a health standpoint there's a lot of explanation as to why humans get a lot of you know just general happiness and um, serotonin from having a beautiful environment to look at but Also, having, you know, needs, resources, like, yeah, people have a lot more benefit and well being from that. And that's a fair argument. This includes the overall utility of future generations as well. What I mean by that is it counts that as overall utility. So it's like, it's not just counting this generation, it's, you know, utilitarianism counts future generations, technically, I mean, per the argument as well. So, It's thinking even, you know, 50 years in the future, 100 years in the future, 300 years in the future, how much utility is that now? That's a huge amount of utility that you're getting from preserving, you know, or having resources, having um, a clean environment to live in. That sounds like it sort of touches on long-termism, but long-termism is separate from utilitarianism, right? I think long-termism... Yeah, technically it is, but I think long-termism plays a role in a lot of environmental ethics because long-termism is more about the biological reason as to why you should care about resources is because uh, it's about your personal gene survival. Like, you you know, it's survival of the fittest at the end of the day. It's like wanting your offspring, your genes to carry on and survive natural selection. Yeah. So, so innately, you have a biological duty to yourself to care about the future generations, and, you know, and in essence, care about the environment and resources because you're trying to outli you're trying to have your genes outlive natural selection. Yeah, it almost sounds like uh, if
1: because I feel like humans maybe aren't Not that we beat natural selection per se, but natural selection, like you said, it's the whole thing is passing on genes, and that's more it's of a just- subconscious. And it sounds like long-termism is like, okay, now let's add a conscious feature to natural selection so that we want to pass our genes and have those
0: uh, offspring have something to be left to. Exactly. And it's funny because humans, uh, as pensive as we are, we're, as far as I understand, we're one of the, one of, or if not the only species that has to articulate Long termism, it feels like everything else is just quite innate with that understanding. Like, we have to actually explain to our dumbasses no, 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 you have to care about this. Like, <laughs> that's so funny actually <laughs> it, it is funny when you think about it like we're supposed to be hyper intelligent creatures How are but we sentient
1: and also self-destructive all i don't i don't know
0: <laughs> i almost feel like it's quite poetic maybe existentialism really is the approach we need to be using because like BRB, what the fuck, writing man? this down i'm gonna write a poetry book about existential environmental yeah, existentialism honestly, like yeah let me be the co-author on that bet so circling back to utilitarianism as it relates to future generations. This is where at least Myers says in in the text. This is where we hit the first flaw. There are, there are flaws to utilitarianism. I don't know if you could catch on to it, mm-hmm. but there are flaws to utilitarianism. Obviously, the subjectivity of it, et cetera. But this is this is the this is the first like actual flaw, and that is Derek Parfit's non-identity problem. This comes up a lot in philosophy as it relates to environmental ethics. Basically, the people who could potentially be affected by an action become too far in the future for us to properly relate or understand their needs. This is especially present in utilitarianism as it deals primarily with happiness and benefit. We basically, we we hit a non-identity problem here in utilitarianism because, yeah, we can maybe get a general understanding of what our generation's overall utility would be if we had ample resources we can maybe get a night understanding of what the next 25 years might be 50 right. even once you start hitting 300 500 a thousand you're you're now we're talking about total strangers we have no relation at all 50 years from now we're talking children yeah. grandchildren yeah 25 years from now we're talking our own kids like you know 300 years plus like we are talking about strangers and it's hard for us to relate to those people and understand their utility so that's this is the flaw that myers says is w- where we hit a bit of a wall helping to answer okay well why should we care about the uh, environment because you can't you can answer it in, in, a, in a perspective of well-being for a certain amount of people but you, you hit a point where there's no longer a personal connection or relation and you don't understand that person's needs as far as utility goes anymore you won't be able to like people a thousand years ago didn't understand what we were going to need now we're not going to understand what people a thousand years from now are going to need as far as happiness well-being etc goes we have an understanding where you know we're still going to be human we're still going to need to breathe oxygen and drink water like sure but like environmentalism goes much farther beyond that so it's really hard for us to relate to those people we can relate however again to the next hundred years maybe. when yeah. this is where Brendan Myers in his book says, this is where utilitarianism is now unable to provide us with the answer of like a well-rounded answer to why should we care about the environment.
1: It's interesting to, to have a conversation where we're just talking, where we're air quotes, just talking about ethics, but there are so, so many larger implications from these conversations at one of which we'll talk about a little bit more later. But just to bring up the point here, some people might be thinking to themselves, okay, well, this might be an issue because if we can't, if we don't have that um, perspective of what's going to happen in the future, how are we supposed to implement things like laws and policies today? Yeah. Because a lot of urban planning, infrastructure planning, the way that we develop land in general, if we're not considering the impacts of it in 25 years, 50 years on the people that might be living there, it's going to be really difficult for us to effectively enact laws that are not going to screw us later, which is partly how we've ended up in the situation we are right now with the climate crisis Mm -hmm. and also the water crisis and every other crisis that we are experiencing has kind, not kind of, but has more or less been due to previous humans not having
0: the forethought or maybe just not caring about future people that is a beautiful point and that is non-identity problem like it's it's not even about understanding it's about care like you we don't care uh, about most of the time about total strangers and whether that's a total stranger in your generation or one that's you know i mean we care about them in a in a general moral sense okay like obviously don't come at me like we care (laughs) about strangers what i mean is like we don't we don't identify like what we have we don't have any common ground like so yeah when we're talking about that in the sense of like multiple generations forward we see non-identity problem in a lot of laws look at the u.s constitution i'm talking about second amendment right now Uh, it's just it's food for thought the right to bear arms is a right per the constitution yeah but think about it the people who fucking wrote that That's non-identity problem, babe. This is why amendments exist to the Constitution because of non-identity problem, because we know society's changing and we need to reevaluate what our needs are as we change, as we move to generations. It's supposed to be a living, breathing document. That is non-identity problem. Non-identity problem is very present in our our government in general. When you read any law you have to look at it from the context of which it was written. Like amendments are for addressing non-identity problem. And as we move to the generations under having a greater understanding of what that generation needs. As I said, Myers argues that utilitarianism, particularly in the unique matter of future generations, leads us to the non-identity problem and thus its repugnant conclusion. So in this case, under the utilitarian argument, we would be forced, in fact, to choose depletion of resources over conservation and preservation because it brings the most utility to the generations that don't fall victim to the non-identity issue. I don't know if that needs further breaking down, but basically if we look at it at the, if we consider utilitarianism with non-identity problem, you're actually only looking at a, a generation or, or three or four. You're not looking that far into the future, <laughs> meaning that for overall utility for those people depletion is the best answer because you get maximum re- maximum return right. on resources and that makes those people the happiest right that makes those people with the best well, like um, well-being right best utility it doesn't ha- doesn't have a very good approach for looking into future generations because of the non identity problem which would be the only way you could choose conservation or preservation under utilitarianism is to consider the utility of those people, but then you can't with non-identity problems. So you are forced to choose depletion and thus, or or at least you would be forced, you would be left unable to explain why we shouldn't choose depletion. And you would also find under the utilitarian argument that you can't explain that. I have two thoughts. Um,
1: one is another flaw that I read about, and I'm not sure if it gets brought up um, when in your reading, but some critics reject this particular line of ethics because, especially in the environmental sense, because it is so human-centric, it values the sentient being, which they are only recognizing as human beings, as the one in which happiness and well-being surrounds. And the critics that bring this up in the environmental sense offer typically a more holistic ethical approach instead of this one for this specific critique. And typically that offer of holistic difference is not one based on a person's happiness. Also, like we've suggested or not suggested, we've talked about how subjective that is. And I personally do agree with that critique. Um, Utilitarianism, in my opinion, ignores other species and every other living creature because of its human focus. And in doing so, it justifies environmental destructive policies and choices. Um, It seems that this approach ignores, and I say ignore because it is not a matter of forgetting every other living thing and how that is moral frankly beats me and my second thing is i think utilitarianism as an idea has some merit for the fact that human beings should be happy right as like a very basic foundation i personally believe that every human being has the right to happiness but where this has the flaw is that my happiness should not and does not need to come at the expense of someone else's. And I don't think that that is morally just. I think it's just selfish.
0: I'm really glad you brought up these two points. And to your first one, where you where you talked about utilitarianism being human-centric, I actually think you open a an even bigger question. And that is of philosophy in general. Philosophy is the study of human thought. So it is human-centric. Why, like, why is that? When, <laughs> why? especially, why, <laughs> like, it's because you know we pride ourselves on being co- these complex creatures with these in- ter- terribly like intricate minds. Yeah, God, Victorian era drama here. Like, all yeah, someone I'm saying- give me some grapes yeah like renaissance art right now philosophy is human-centric philosophy is the study of human thought. so like to that it's like yes like utilitarianism is human-centric but philosophy in general is fucking human-centric and but when it comes to environmental ethics specifically great point i mean we're talking about the environment we're not just talking about humans we are talking about the human question why should humans care about the environment right because we seem to be the only ones fucking it up (laughs) It, it's a it's an interesting point you bring up and you know I it is human-centric but like I said then again so is philosophy in general so maybe it, you you bring up an even bigger question is why is environmental ethics so human-centric when it's not just about it's not just about humans is it like yeah we're not just talking about how we socialize with other humans how we interact with other humans how we experience consciousness with other humans we are talking about our interaction with an entire plane of existence like we are talking oh that gives um, me the chills yeah we we're talking about big big huge <laughs> <stuff> huge. <here. laughs> huge, um great question really and I mean I, I don't have the answer you know that's the beautiful thing about about philosophy and, and ethics is it's a it is often left open-ended and uh, up to interpretation but as far as your second point about utilitarianism sometimes uh argues that you like you know someone's happiness comes at the at the expense of someone else's. to that, I'll say I'll bring it back to the point that utilitarianism does acknowledge the fact that it's not about individuals. It's about overall added total sum happiness. So like to that, it's like, yes, I totally agree like in in my opinion, utilitarianism is a bit of a like a' it's more it's a more selfish uh approach but it, it i would say that it doesn't it doesn't encourage you to have more happiness at the expense of others unless you're talking about future generations into which we run into again to the non-identity problem i do i do see i do see your point and obviously you're not the only one who thinks this you've totally you're you know it holds water for sure that's utilitarianism as as brendan myers analyzes it for his book let's move on to distributive justice aka the just so utilitarianism was the good Distributive justice is the just we've got the the bad and the ugly coming later um i hope you guys got the the clint eastwood reference i just made if you didn't go fucking watch some movies or get involved in pop culture even
1: i have seen that one so if you
0: haven't you shame that's that's great lexi okay can we all just really quick talk about how hot clint eastwood was in that movie Okay, yeah, I think it's yeah, done. Yeah, it going on. I'm sorry. The poncho, the little cigar, it was just really working for him. Anyways, moving right along, Brendan Myers specifically uses the John Rawls framework to help an- analyze distributive justice as it relates to environmental ethics, and that framework is a theory of justice.
1: There are three principles under what I will call the distributive justice umbrella. And today we are mainly focusing the discussion on, like Ari said, John Rawls. I say Rawls, but it could Rouse. be Rawls.
0: You might be right.
1: I'm so sorry to the purists that will come for me later when they realize I've said it wrong. No, I don't know. I, one of us is wrong. <laughs> we'll flip could, a coin. One mean. of us got it right. That's what. That's how we'll frame it. The one that we are focusing on is most commonly called the difference principle under the distributive justice umbrella. Thank you.
0: Yes, precisely. Brendan Myers focuses on this one to help explain the why should we care about the environment question in the distributive justice lens. So the justice theory argument declares that the action is right if it distributes to everyone his or her fair share of the world's resources that is obviously very different than overall utility as discussed in utilitarianism. So let's let's explore let's explore this. Rawls' theory develops a conception of a person as a citizen, a member of society which relies on each other to keep order but also relies on other individuals who lead different lives.
1: Where the difference principle kind of strays from this strict egalitarianism that form is another uh principle underneath of this umbrella and the strict egalitarianism is basically everybody gets equal materials to every member of society and where the difference principle comes in the one that we're talking about it comes away from that strict equality sense and starts considering some different moral roles and is more of an equitable approach to Um, this distribution rather than everybody just gets an equal share because as most people hopefully know by now equity and equality are not the same thing
0: two different things
1: any equity is basically ensuring that those who maybe started from a different starting point are able to actually catch up to those who are ahead of them and
0: vice versa. Yeah. Could go down a really big rabbit hole with that one. You could. You could. And we, we might for another episode. Good episode idea. So yeah, someone living under the distributive justice philosophy would argue that choosing depletion over conservation preservation doesn't fairly distribute resources to those lacking access to said resources. Maybe that's based on class, geography, social implications, etc. Lexi just talked about that a moment ago. Or to the generations following. And justice theory does hold water as it provides a really strong reasons for participating in a practice of fair savings of resources and social goods from one generation to the next. I'm going to elaborate more because a lot of you are probably like okay what you lost me so this idea is called virtual reciprocity the claim that when one generation passes on social goods like environmental resources for example to future generations the transfer happens in the context of the practice i.e the goods are transferred with the intention and understanding that they are to be transferred again oh the crucial premise interesting yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The crucial premise here is that without said practice in place, a recipient generation would have no reason to expect or demand anything from its predecessors. So an incentive thus exists for a generation to continue the practice. It's almost like when you're in line at
1: Starbucks and you pay for the person behind you's yeah. order and then they do it and then they do it and then they do
0: it. Then you just kind of feel like it's, it's a practice. It's an understanding. Like, you know, you do the next one. That's a really good analogy. With this logic, depletion is wrong for the quote unquote just people, because depletion would result in a specific benefit for the generation choosing it, because that generation gets exorce resource use, aka excess benefit from Mm. the environment. But that generation doesn't do its own fair share of perpetuating that practice. A, like in essence, it's not doing its just justice for the next generation does that make sense did i articulate that well because this i feel a bit- like this particular part
1: of it is a little difficult to understand at first but it 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 does as an overall idea i think makes yeah. sense basically like this- we have this agreement that we are going to treat our water resources with
0: kindness so that everybody down the line yeah because it's, it's about it. It's literally about distributing the justice amongst generations to come. This right. is this like perpetuating. Argument, it. Exactly. This argument doesn't fall under the non identity problem because it's written in the philosophy itself to distribute the justice throughout generations. Does that, I think that could be a point of confusion for some people too. That's a good it's a like, distinction. Well, yeah, because like some people could be like, oh, utilitarianism ran into this issue. How does distributive justice theory not? distributed justice theory probably runs into the non-identity problem in some capacity but in this capacity when we're talking about distributing goods through generations it's kind of written in the ethics itself so it sounds
1: more like it's an agreement too like the non-identity problem is more so like i have a hard time picturing how this is going to impact people 100 years from now whereas this is I'm doing this for the next generation. And then the next generation is going to exactly. have the same thought process. And then they're going to, exactly. you know, like it's a,
0: cult, it seems more like a
1: cultural integration of this method. That That is such
0: a better way to say it. It's just about distributing on to the next. So like you can identify very easily with the next generation. Like we're talking about your children, you know, like uh-huh. your niece and nephew. Like these, are that's very easy to to conceptualize Myers argues here that justice theory this is this is where the flaw the flag pops up the flaw flag I don't Uh, know I'm gonna coin that the flaw flag like a red flag red flag Uh, Myers argues here that justice theory cannot by itself provide an explanation for initiating this practice yeah so distributive justice theory is great at explaining why we should perpetuate this practice. You know, I got these great resources that I could use. I want to make sure that the next generation has it and so on and so forth. But that was passed on to me, this practice. Mm-hmm. What's the incentive for that OG generation for starting the practice? What's They didn't get anything passed on to them. Like no one set it up for them. So they the justice isn't then distributed fairly because they are the ones who have to sacrifice something for the next does that make sense yes so i would argue that gen z probably madly identifies right now with this issue because we feel like the fucking boomers and gen x before us completely just tore shit up they utilitarianism the fuck the, They <laughs> <utilitarianism> <laughs> the fuck out of, out of the generation. Yeah, and we're we're stuck here with this point where it's like a lot of people are in this position. I've talked to so many people in this position. It's like, well, what's the incentive for me? Why should I re- like be care- be conscious of my choices for future generations? When it comes to distributive just distributive justice theory, you can't answer that question. There is no rationale. This theory provides no rationale for that. You, that I mean, that that isn't just. That isn't fair for you. You would have to turn. To another argument to answer that, I would turn to something like long termism (laughs) because that's my favorite. I (laughs) turn to that because it's a biological fucking answer to that question. As far as distributive justice is concerned, as far as justice theory is concerned, there is no rationale for making that sacrifice. It's true. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to our generation to have to make these sacrifices when the ones before us chose depletion and then the ones after us are going to be passing on this ideology this this practice that no, no no it is good to to do it we're our generation this should be so relatable to our generation right now because yeah. we're in this wow. we're at this point that that's us
1: yeah that's such I'm getting the chills it it just it really brings home for me for instance I uh, there's an article we're going to talk about this on a future episode but like when we're talking about water use right where we are currently in the process of probably experiencing a water crisis in the next decade, which is within my lifetime, which means that I and Ari and anyone that is alive, as this is occurring, because it's happening now, it's not a future problem, it's an out problem, we are experiencing this, okay, how do we, how do we lessen the blow of this crisis so that future people are not experiencing it? But we are not necessarily going to receive that just distribution like you're talking about on the water usage because water has been mishandled generationally so we are the start of hopefully we are the start of fixing that problems that future generations can then
0: perpetuate the just distribution from then on yeah it's so easy to read about philosophy and ethics as like a as a distant as literature yeah just like a thing it's you know a lot of people read it or you know they read aristotle they'll read kant and they'll be like oh that's that's you know it's beautiful how what beautiful literature and it's like it's so so crazy when it fucking is so applicable and speaking of kant it's at this point where we know when we can't we can't actually we don't have a rationale for saying why under distributive justice theory we should perpetuate this practice this is the point where Myers in his book turns to Kant. He turns to the Kantian test of universalism, turns to deontology. We will be covering this Kantian deontology concept and virtue ethics next week. You know, before I say anything spoiler alert, as I've said in both and under both of the arguments we talked about today, Myers had fl- found flaws, that he couldn't answer the questions, the, the why should we care about the environment questions with under these approaches. And so it's pretty clear that Myers doesn't think either of these approaches alone are explanation enough for the human and environment connection. Anyway, so Lex, what do you think? I, I really loved
1: this conversation, and I'm hoping that the people listening enjoyed it too. The the thing that I'm going to apologize for is there's no way to have this conversation or even I think listen to this conversation and not have not walk away or stop listening with more questions than answers. You know, like all all this has done for me, one, I loved I loved the conversation. I'm very happy that we were talking about these things and I'm gonna circle back to why it's important to have these conversations in a second. But I'm glad we're talking about these things because it gives me an opportunity to really apply it to what we're experiencing right now. And not even in an environmental sense, but just in a broader context, like Distributive Justice has a huge role especially in a racism or just environmental discrimination context it. so it's really interesting to because i personally have never taken an ethics class i've never read a book okay. on ethics um the only literature i think i have no i don't e- i don't even have that i thought i had a book on ethics i don't it's actually on politics so that's just my uh inability they are to quite read. Intertwined, aren't they? They- Well, thank you. And that's actually what leads me to my my second point. These conversations make me realize how our framework for laws is literally based on what humans find to be ethic and moral and how that is so subjective and completely depends on the context in which you are talking And the moment you are living in the year of our Lord and Savior, like, it's just Where you are, geography
0: Geography. plays such a huge role.
1: Yes. And there's so many cultural contexts that can go into it as well. And, Uh you know, that is why ethics is so, ethics are so widely studied. It's bigger than just a couple of randoms coming up with an ethical approach and then (laughs) stamping it and being like, that's how we do the thing. And these approaches have such real consequences yeah
0: yeah it's uh this is why it's one of my favorite subjects ever using philosophy to help us to help guide us through the environmental quest that we're all undergoing right now right can be really helpful yeah um, it could also like you said it in a lot of ways it opens curiosity and it makes you have even more questions that's certainly what it does for me i mean that's why books like the Brendan Myers um Time in the Land explore more than just one. You know, you have you have to compare it to some others and there are so many ways to approach this question that aren't right. that aren't in this book that you know, but it's just it really proves like like you said how subjective ethics is. There's a reason why laws across all different kinds of nations and countries differ so much
1: but also where they find their similarities i feel like is where we see actual real human right. basic just
0: i you love know what I mean? that i actually love that you said that let's let's go ahead and look at most countries i would say most if not all have like something like murder as illegal uh, okay killing someone morally is wrong why there's a probably quadrillion answers to that question of fucking why. But we all, can all agree murdering someone in cold blood is wrong, but guns, abortion, just saying. Now is that unanimous across the board? Freedom of speech? Certainly not. Your sexual
1: orientation, <laughs> the, the 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 gender you identify as. You, you are so right though. It's it's very interesting to to take the perspective of of ethics as a whole and what is moral as a whole and find those common threads where no matter, I would argue that no matter what race, religion, um, what country you come from, your age, most people can agree that some things are right
0: and wrong. Yep. And I think environmentalists try very hard to help everyone understand why not taking care of the environment is morally wrong right and i think the reason environmentalism
1: has become political topic is so much less to do with the fact that we're talking about you know what it is at the core which is caring about the environment and also human well-being because those things are synonymous fight me literally that will be the the hill i die on that's
0: the that's the hotel earth way we've been saying this from the start there it's all one conversation at the right. end of the day it is like, and the reason it's become
1: politicized is not because some people believe that environmental environmentalism and human well-being are synonymous it's because people have learned how to capitalize on making it political to avoid the responsibility that they have in fucking over people like i I'm am s-
0: fist pumping right it's now crazy. that is a bike drop
1: moment people bike that don't moment. believe in climate science are actively acting against human beings being able to survive like you are you this- aren't you aren't playing into a political party when you when you believe in climate science we've talked
0: about this before but climate scientists don't get any incentive or reward for putting out that that data okay no no one's making millions no one's got any like dirty politicians in their pocket saying like oh please give me some fake numbers like that's not happening but the
1: people who did come out and say that climate science is bullshit and that we're not seeing warming those people did make money those people did make money they
0: did benefit from it
1: uh, we have really
0: derailed this train. Oh, no pun yeah, intended. Sorry. I, will, I will get our, our tracks. I'll get us back on track here. Thank you. As I said in the beginning of this episode, there's a reason greenwashing exists, right? That is because there is a general understanding that we care about these things. Yeah. You know, maybe before today's conversation, you couldn't even explain why. Maybe after today's conversation, you have two povs while they are flawed that can help you kind of understand oh this is kind of why we care yeah we're going to talk about more next week and we're going to talk about more in episodes to come but please let us know what you think about this episode this is personally my favorite kind of episode where it's just like super subjective lex and i can just lash out on our opinions which we love and get get the feedback so please let us know what you think I hope you're excited about next week's I know I am. I am. And of course, as usual, I'm gonna need um you guys to rate, review, subscribe, follow, let's say right nut this time, okay. social security number, credit card info, all of the fun stuff. You can please, if you I'm so bad at this Lexi, so much better at this part. <laughs>
1: if you would love to stay in touch with us you can do so on instagram at hotel earth podcast you can also find us on tiktok which i so lovingly call the clock app and you can do that at hotel earth pod you can also send us an email at hotel earth podcast at gmail.com and for once, it took me 23 episodes, but I did not have to look at our Gmail account to remember what our uh, freaking uh, email address was. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that covers all of the things for them to follow and all the uh,
0: email us. Please, please reach out. We love when people ask us questions. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Which will also be the last episode in this season. Wild. We will definitely have another bonus episode between season three and four. Ooh. That's going to be fun. I don't think we know what that's going to be about yet, but we haven't decided. Anyways, ciao for now. We'll see you next week. Bye, bitches. Bye, bitches.